Give me a minute to adjust. The last time I was here with you, there were about 50 of us packed into a little room, a living room. And I was concerned that when we worshiped, the building was going to break down because <laughs> we were jammed. And there were people sitting in windowsills. It was biblical. <laughs> and uh, I, just, I just cannot tell you how excited my uh, wife Melinda and I are to be here with you. And how excited we are to see what's going on. And just, I'm just drinking you in for a minute. How beautiful you are. So many of you packed in here. And, and I'm already praising God for a bigger building because it looks like you need a bigger meeting space, right? Yeah. Amen. Amen. So, yeah. Amen. Well, I don't know if Jesus will preach, but I'll do my best. So, <laughs> so uh, what an awesome time I had over the last two days with your leaders. You were so blessed. We've known... Uh, uh, Pastor Daryl and, and Bethany, uh, these these two precious pastors that God has given a vision to do a work in this town. Uh, we are so honored to know them and to watch what God has done in their lives and to watch them over the last two days with your leaders. I just want to tell you, Hilltop, you were blessed to have the leaders you have and the caliber of people that are praying over you and, and doing all these things, all these things they just announced. Man, if you're not involved in one, here comes the pastor and me, get involved in one because they're not doing this stuff just so they can have something to do. I promise you, every person leading one of these things has plenty of stuff to do, but they're doing it for you. We need community, amen? We need each other, and so get involved. And listen, let me speak to the people who today just showed up here and you're just kind of peeping it out. If you're looking for a church, this is your day. You don't have to look any further. I mean, there's no more visiting for you, no more searching for you, no more scoping out web or church anywhere. You have found your home. Boy, you can just take a deep breath and say, I finally found where I belong. I'm from Georgia. Can most of you understand me? I'm doing my best to articulate, but if I need help, my wife can help. She has a college degree. She's a little better at articulating than me, than I. I just leaned over to uh, Melinda. Will you stand up so everybody can, can see you? Because every time I'm up here ministering, people always say, where's your wife? Where's your wife? She is with me this time. She's usually back home holding the fort down because she co-pastors with me. Today, in fact, just now they are starting the second service back home for us. And our 22-year-old daughter will be preaching there this morning. And uh, we are very blessed. We have been for the last four years having two services, about to go to a th third service in, the, in central Georgia in the middle of nowhere, Nowheresville. You can't find it. You couldn't get there, even if I gave you uh, the address. Google will get you lost. And uh, we, we served in Detroit where we met uh, uh, Daryl when he's, Pastor Daryl was talking about. In Michigan, we were pastoring in that area. And then the Lord kept telling us he was going to send us back home. We fought with him. He won. And uh, we ended up moving back to Atlanta because that was as close to central Georgia as I was going to get. And then the Lord again fought with me, wrestled. He won. And now we're in the middle of central Georgia. It, our town is 1,400 people. Most of you are in a college with more people than that, right? 1,400 people, and the Lord is doing a phenomenal thing there. We're part of something called smalltown.church. We are planting churches all over small-town America in the places where big-name ministries won't go, and there is a grassroots revival. It's funny, when I hear people praying for revival, I'm thinking, you should be in some of the churches we're at. You should see some of the amazing conversions that are taking place that are underground, that aren't on TV, that nobody sees and nobody knows about. Let me just let you guys know something. When you are singing today, the kingdom reigns. It is raining and increasing on planet Earth right now. Whether you can see it all or not, it is happening. There is such a grassroots revival going on. And it is amazing to be there and be a part of it. And we're watching God do amazing things in small towns. I know that I, I can try to preach it big and hard, but small towns don't get most people excited. I've even had people say to me, well, Jesus, really, where he's moving is in the big town. That's where you'll find the real revivals going on. And I, in fact, when we moved to central Georgia, somebody asked me, who are you going to save, the cows? And I thought, well, if the cows need saving, you know, <laughs> preach to all creation. And, 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 
even people saying, what a waste of a gift. Why would you go there? And it was actually the place that I grew up and left and said I'd never go back to, never wanted to go back. And the Lord moved on our hearts and took us back there. We are right now, if you will pray for us, we are right now, uh, we just got in a miraculous story. I wish I could tell it to you. Don't have time. Uh, we got 20 acres that we uh, are, are just blown away at how God got it to us literally hid the land from anybody for 20 years until we got there and said here's some land for you it's an amazing story and now we are building something called the legacy center because we felt like as a church it would be irresponsible as a church community for us to build an edifice that looks beautiful and people only use on wednesday and sundays we thought that is a, a ridiculous waste of the kingdom money and so what we're building is a community center that will educate the community we will do the things that the school systems no longer do in georgia we will teach uh, financing we will teach uh, home act we will teach um, we are uh, addressing literacy in our, our region we'll make sure that every every kid by the time they get to eight years old will be very literate in our community in our city in our region and we're doing this as an example doing the things that parenting classes and marriage classes and all the things that our schools quit doing a long time ago and 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 this community center will house our church but will not just be for the church, it will be for the community. We're also planting a, a school of the arts, the five major fine arts disciplines to teach underprivileged kids who would never be able to take a piano, dance, voice, or any of those uh, uh, things, that they will be able to come and take classes here and, and be trained even though they can't afford it. Uh, it is a vision I've had for many years, a creative arts school for the underprivileged, kind of like uh, fame. You, anybody? Yeah, never mind, you're all too young. Don't, you're just trying to clap and act like you know what it means. And you, it's all right. It's all right. It's all good. Anyway, if you, if you think of us, pray for the Legacy Center. The Legacy Center, hope for the future. Hope for the future. I have a couple of things back there. There's a CD we uh, did at our church called Hope is Here. Another one from our worship leader who is our son-in-law. He's married to our daughter, Victoria, called the Smith Street Project. If you like Will Reagan-type music where you're just sitting in a living room and worshiping and all of a sudden God breaks out, this is the CD for you. Get those. Uh, this one is called Synergize. It's about understanding how the young and the old need to work together. If the young and the old, listen to me, I'm going to tell you something. I'll, I'll just give you a prophetic word. If the young and the old don't learn to work together, we're going to have to go around this mountain again. And if the young don't quit saying to the old, you're irrelevant. And if the old don't quit saying to the young, we don't need you. That's why churches die, because they have no new vision. And sooner or later, it's just an act of nature. All the old people are going to die. Somebody's going to have to lock the door. That's why churches, the average church in our area right now is 30 people. That's a large church. Many of them, 12 to 15 people, most of them over the age of 70. And that means that sooner or later, they're going to have to lock the doors. They're going to die. And so this book was written with our heart, the heartbeat God gave us of the young and old working together. We used to sing a song that would say, when young and old return to Jesus. And that is the heartbeat of God right now and the synergy that we need between the generations. And then this one is on brokenness, learning to live in wholeness in a broken world. This is ash sculpting, and it's just my testimony. There is no gore of my testimony in there. It won't tell you anything about what I went through. That's none ya. None ya business. What is your business? And there's one sentence. It says, what broke me is not your concern. What healed me is what I want to talk about. So that's what it's all about. It's not a gory testimony. You can't find what happened. But I, I can promise you this. If you, have, if you have been emotionally wounded, sexually abused, broken, if you have lived on planet Earth for more than a year, you probably have had some emotional stuff that is weighing you down, and this book will help you. I'm so excited you're doing the inner healing ministry. Please get rid of the stigma that says I don't need inner healing. Of course you do. I try to get it two or three times a day. Hello? What do you mean, Pastor? I try to get with Holy Spirit and say, didn't David pray? Search my heart and see if there be any wicked. It's from the word wicker, bent, anything that has so hit me so many times. It has bent me away from what you have called me to do. So I try to get with the Lord and let that happen. Amen. I want to teach you for just a moment. I just want to share with you what I felt was on my heart. We are sons, not orphans. I believe that God in the body of Christ right now is doing a shift in our minds. There's a mindset shift that is taking us away from the orphan mentality into a mentality of sonship. 
He is right now taking away the orphan mentality. Many of us have this noble response of we want to serve God because we love him because he's done stuff for us and he saved us. And we're so excited because of what God has done. And so we just want to serve him. And so we see ourselves as servants because that seems noble. I'm a servant of the most high God. And there's nothing wrong with that concept except that you are more than just a servant or a slave. You were not adopted into the family to be a servant in the family. And so there has to be a mind, sh- a mindset shift and a mentality change and a paradigm shift so that we see something differently. When you get this, you'll understand that sons always see the family business different than those who are hired. I, I get so tired of being in a store and, and, and clerks that are waiting on you or, or a salesperson are like, doesn't matter to me, I don't care, ain't my problem. Boom. You know, they don't care if they're selling it to you for the right price or the wrong price. They don't care how much profit the business makes. They don't care because it's not their business. You know, we're instructed to do everything we do is unto the Lord, Right? We're instructed in all these scriptures about sons and adopted. And, but I still don't think the body of Christ really gets the idea of sonship. Not to the fullness. Well, I know. I know you have to. I was trying to be nice there and say, I, I don't think. I'm going to tell you they don't. We don't get it. If we got it, we would be seeing more signs, miracles, and wonders happening because we wouldn't be begging God to do stuff, but we would understand that being about the Father's business means the Father is more interested in this getting done than I am, and I'm just the instrument through which He will do this thing. All of us encounter things and we think, I don't know if I, did I pray enough? Did I fast enough? Am I ready? Do I feel the spirit enough? I mean, I, I, oh, I wish Pastor Bethany was here. She'd pray for them and a miracle would happen. I wish Daryl, where's Pastor Daryl when you need him? I don't know if I can do this if my small group leader was here because they are real spiritual. Who are you in the kingdom? There's an orphan mentality, and I want to apologize up front to anyone who has been a natural orphan. Please do not get offended with me as I talk about the the, the understanding of the orphan mentality. But let me just tell you something. If you have been orphaned in here, I was teaching this one day. And a lady came to me and she said, you have so nailed it. I said, what do you mean? She said, I was orphaned at the age of eight. And everything you have shared today is everything I've struggled with as an orphan in the natural. And I brought it into the kingdom and I placed it on God. And you are clearly articulating what we must go through to get set free from this orphan mentality. So all I want to ask you today, will you simply ask Holy Spirit, if there's anything, I I don't know who this guy is, and he's saying that there may be something keeping me from seeing clearly. Would you just ask this? Not me, just Holy Spirit. If you've got a relationship with Holy Spirit, then just ask Him. If there, is there anything? Everybody just close your eyes right now. Holy Spirit, is there anything that is keeping me from seeing Father God clearly? Holy Spirit, if there is, as we look together at these Scriptures, would you unveil my eyes and help me see? Is there any orphan mentality in me? If there is, expose it, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So here's the reason I think we need to do this. Because there's a much higher life that He desires us to rise up into. He wants us to walk in our true identity. Because if you don't know who you are, anybody can talk you into being anything. If you don't know who you are, people can talk you into being anything. That's why it is so important. Study to show yourself approval workman that knows the truth. It doesn't need to be ashamed. You can rightly divide the word of truth. Uh, someone who knows their true identity in Christ. When Jesus was getting ready to leave the earth, he made this promise. He said, I will not leave you as orphans. This mentality must have been important enough that Jesus, when he's getting ready to leave the earth, says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will not leave you as one without a protector. I will not leave you as one without a comforter. I will not leave you as one without a provider. I will not leave you on your own to get this right. I can't tell you how many Christians I meet that think they are on their own to get this right. 
That like I've got to, how many times somebody says to me, well, pastor, I'm really working on it. Well, good for you. See you in heaven. Pastor, I'm really, I'm really, I'm really, I'm really working on this thing. I'm really, I'm, I'm pressing, and we get new words. I'm really pressing in. I'm leaning into it, pastor. What you pressing into? More work? Yeah, I got this new Bible app, and I'm, a, I'm, a, and then I found this new way to fast, and I got 16 ways to break through. Good for you, but if no, if any of that. It, if it does not lead you into the understanding of your true identity in Christ, then you're going to be like the proverbial dog chasing his tail. When First Peter tells us his divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness, that means inside of me it is here and I'm always looking for the next thing and the next person and if I could just get another revelation and yet the one who is revelation lives inside of you. He, it's like J.C. Penney's, right? It's all inside. And yet, some of us are like J.C. Penney's. It might be in there, but I can't find it. He says that he, uh, he would send us a spirit. He said God's spirit. He said he would be a spirit of adoption. Holy Spirit came to fulfill what Jesus spoke. Y'all, Jesus doesn't lie. Come on, Jesus doesn't lie. If he said he was going to do it, he did it. Acts shows us he did it. Listen to what he said, John 14, 16 through 18. John chapter 14, 16 through 18. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him. For he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. He tells us two things there. He tells us a bunch of things, but two. He says, I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm going to send someone to provide, to lead, to guide, to structure, to take care, to help you in this thing, this commission, this co-mission that I want to work together with to extend Father's kingdom in the earth. And I'm going to send Holy Spirit to be in this mission with you. And he says, you're not going to be an orphan. You're going to have one to take care of you. And I will come back to you. Sons see things differently than orphans. Sons have a different mentality than orphans. I am fighting something and I keep pushing it back in my mind. So can I just be me and y'all be y'all and we'll all get along good together? Okay, good. At least two people said yes, so that's enough. I keep pushing this thing back in my mind. I'm just going to be honest because uh, I'm, I'm all set. I am hearing so many people talk about... Oh, Lord Jesus. I'm hearing so many people talk about how bad things are. I'm going to drink some water. And this little, this little election we got going on in November. People keep talking about how bad things are. And how much worse it will get. I hear this everywhere I go. So I just want to I just want to think as a son for a minute. Will you think with me as a son for a minute? We sang today a song. Our God reigns forever. His kingdom reigns. Did we? Are we familiar at all with a, a, a scripture in Isaiah that spoke about Jesus and it said, and of his increase. There shall be. No end. Are we familiar with God saying, sit down here, son, until I make the world your footstool? Are we familiar with him saying, and the government shall be upon his shoulders? Yeah, but everything's getting worse. I want to challenge you next time you give in to the spirit of Antichrist that is convincing us that things are getting worse, that you take time to go back and study through history, study through history what life was like in the 
1500s, the 1600s, the 1700s, the 1800s, the 1900s. Study how many uh, uh, inventions have changed our quality of life. Take, do me a favor. Go and study how many people are being converted to Christianity right now as compared to six years ago. Do you know that the, the greatest evangelism uh, surveys tell us that probably, because people keep saying to me, we got to have the day of Pentecost again. That was a great day. 3,000 added to the church. Ah, do you know that evangelism studies say that today 137,000 people will come to know the Lord? Today, today. In China alone, mass revivals that are beyond epic proportions, unlike anything we've ever seen. I have people working, and I, I can't even begin to say the, 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 the names of the languages, but working in, in Muslim areas, and they are seeing such an amazing revival and, and baptizing daily people to the Lord. I understand that America is having a little rough spell here. And yet I'm looking around and many of you probably have or know people from other countries. And, and there's been some stuff going on all over the world for a while. Amen, somebody? But a son looks and says, if I'm going to be about my father's business, I know father's got a plan in all this. And if I'll keep looking, father is going to do something in the midst of all this. And father is changing this in some way. And father has not lost and he will not lose. And if his kingdom knows no end, if the kingdom of Jesus, it says increase, the increase, increase. Jesus talked about the kingdom of God being like a little leaven and a little bit goes in and it increases Daniel and Ezekiel talk about the rock that is crushes and it increases and grows Jesus kingdom is not decreasing it is increasing I mean can I just tell y'all in my lifetime what I've seen uh, 30 years ago when I started leading worship we were just breaking away from hymns there, can I, let me just wake you up. There weren't even CDs. We didn't even know a CD was a cash deposit at the bank. I was around when these were invented. The first worship thing I got was a cassette tape. Nobody didn't do, nobody did this kind of worship in church. I remember when we were the only church in town doing this kind of music. And they said, it's like a rock concert over there. They're worshiping the devil with them drums. That's what they said about us. You know, those African tribal beats and it just gets everybody worked into a frenzy. It's the devil over there. And then we dared add the saxophone and they told us the saxophone would make everybody just go crazy sexually. Because it was a sensual instrument. Well, did you know that when the, the pipe organ was introduced to the church, did you know that when the pipe organ was introduced, they called it the devil's voice pipes? And churches would not even allow the organ, the pipe organ, to be played in church. Did you know there was a new song introduced into church one time? And on, on, on the following week, the worship leader got a, a note from a parishioner and it said, I think that the vulgarity in which we are singing to the Lord is uncalled for. And using terms like you are are too intimate, too familiar. I think we need to go back to the time-tested true hymns and quit singing these things. Do you know what the song was? What a friend we have in Jesus. Even way back then, the first time, what a friend we have in Jesus. All our griefs and sins do bear. When that was sung in church, somebody in church said, that is vulgar. You Listen, I sit here today watching this worship and watching this amazing, amazing worship team. And I think back over 30 years of ministry. This year, Melinda and I celebrate 30 years of marriage and 30 years of full-time ministry. And you should have shouted a lot more for her being married to me for 30 years. That's a feat. When I think back over that and I see how much revelation has come forth in the body of Christ. And when I see a, a young group like you and, and when I see thousands, there weren't gatherings of thousands back then. There weren't stadiums being filled. Folks, 
God, if you will allow him, will let you as a son see that something is happening. I don't have to look at the media to see. I get in touch with God and I see he has a plan to turn things around. If my people... If my people, this is not about America, pray. This is not about America, humble yourself. This is about my people. And Isaiah said, arise, shine, for your light has come. And the glory of the Lord has risen upon you and in you. And sons understand they've been called to be light in the darkness. Romans 8, 14 through 17. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you've received the adoption, the spirit of adoption as sons to whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if we are children, then heirs. And if we are heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified with Him. And when you get to that suffer part, everybody goes, there, we finally got the part. Oh, you finally got me there, Pastor. I've got to suffer with Him. Do you know what I believe? Just I believe the greatest suffering that Christ had. It was not the cross. It was the garden. Because that is the place He battled with. Not my will, but yours be done. That is the place where medical science tells us the, sweat of, the sweating of great drops of blood is a condition of stress and straining so much into prayer that he actually began to sweat blood. It's a place of agony, agonizing. And, and if you'll be honest, all of us can say we know that place of agonizing to do God's will instead of our will. And that's the place of the daily suffering, the place where he says, go and do this. And you're like, I don't want to. I'm tired. Or the place where he says, lay that aside. And you're like, I don't I don't want to lay that aside or he says whatever he says to you and you struggle and strain and the suffering that I find most in my life is suffering when I want to do my will instead of his I think it's a very important point that this takes us beyond the mentality of that we are sinners saved by grace maybe that's just a southern phrase and y'all don't ever hear anybody say that there's a southern phrase that people say, well, I'm just a sinner saved by grace, which sounds kind of spiritual, except that you're not just a sinner saved by grace. You are a son adopted into the family and you are not just saved to serve, but you're adopted to reign. You're not just saved to serve him, you're adopted to reign with him. Now, before anybody gets mad at me and says, you're saying we shouldn't serve, sons gladly serve. Servants serve because they're forced to. Sons gladly serve. Are you kidding? I've given up my entire life for the kingdom of God. And I'm having a wild ride. I mean, a smoking hot wife. I drive a Kia Soul. I mean, come on. I am rolling, balling, shot calling. I mean... I got, come on, you, you, you feel me? It's orange too. What? Got five kids, seven grandkids, and still holding up well. It's glory treatments. But I still understand that I was not called into the kingdom because he needed another servant. Because he wanted a son to reign with him. I remember in 1986, i got to be honest with you, this revelation of sons, not orphans, really is not new to me, but it's just, maybe I'm slow, but I just caught up with the fact that it seems like most of the church doesn't get this. But in 1986, I remember, it was just before we got married, I was in my apartment one day praying, and uh, I was reading Oswald Chambers, his utmost for my highest, or my highest for his utmost, I always get it wrong, whichever it was, y'all know what I'm talking about. Anyway, it's old. And, uh, um, It was on July 6, 1986. I'll never forget it because that day crushed me. It crushed me. And and that day, the Lord spoke these words to me. He said, attend my son, attendant to my words. From this day forward, you'll never be the same. First of all, I heard God's voice so strongly, it, it wrecked my life. Secondly, he called me son. And I didn't feel worthy to be his son. 
I, I didn't feel worthy. I, I felt I, I'm the, the prodigal who was like, just make me a servant. Get this. The prodigal came home. There's a story that Jesus tells as a parable. Two boys, uh, uh, one asked for the inheritance. The father gives them both their inheritance. He splits it between them and one runs away to spend it all. And when he comes home, he says, Father, I'm not worthy to be a son. And the father doesn't listen to him. And, and he says, you are my son. And he restores him. And I was the prodigal who didn't feel like I was worthy to be a son. But hearing the Lord say, my son, untended to my words, I knew that that, that, that meant that going forward, he was going to speak things to me that mattered and things that would help me. It also wrecked me because I was thinking, son of God, what are you calling me? Jesus, what's going on here? Why would you say that? You call me son? You said I'm a son? I'm a, I, don't, I, I thought there was only one son of God. And so it took, I wouldn't even say it out loud to people because hearing God say, you are my son, I'm like, what? I'm a cult leader now? I don't know what's going on. Why would you say this? So I didn't even breathe a word of it for the longest time. I didn't even know that the Bible says we are sons and daughters of God. I'd never been taught that. Oh, maybe in, 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 in Bible school I heard something about, you know, you're the children of God, but I didn't get what it meant to be a son. He says here, since you're a son and you're heirs and you're fellow heirs with Christ, do you understand that if I'm a fellow heir with you, I have a joint account with you, and that means you and I share everything? Like right now, I'm going to be honest with you, we need $1.4 million dollars. 1.4, which is a drop in the bucket here, right? We just need $1.4 million for our building. So here's what I did recently. In prayer, I said, hey, Father, that joint account. Oh, you, some of you, I don't know if you're ready for this. I don't know if you're ready for this. I simply said, that joint account we share, I can't find a checkbook. But I know you know where it's at. And so I need $1.4 million out of our account, please. Yeah, I felt just as silly as y'all grinning at me when I did it. Has it come yet? No, but I'll holler at you when it does. Well, I didn't dream up the vision he gave me. I wasn't sitting around one night saying, I wonder if I can come up with a dream. This is his vision. And where he gives vision, he gives provision because he's envisioning his sons and daughters to do things on the earth right now that will make a difference i'm gonna tell you something if we don't like the way things are going we have no one to blame but ourselves oh that was too hard if we don't like the way things are going, who is the salt and who is the light? We are. If we don't like the way things are going, who is supposed to be the leaven in the earth that is spreading and making a difference? Who is supposed to be changing our communities and our neighborhoods and our governments and media? We are. We're the ones that are supposed to be making the difference. Do you really think we're going to elect anybody who's going to bring us into a revival? I'll tell you something, the godliest pastor, I'm sorry, boop, the godliest president we ever had, history will show was one of the worst presidents ever, and he was from Georgia. It's probably the godliest pastor, uh, president that was ever in the White House. There was no revival. In fact, he made a, some huge mistakes. Wake up, church. Wake up, church. We are the salt. We are the light. We are the healing. We are the glory. We are the revival. Paul gave us a revelation and said, Christ in you is the hope of glory. What does that mean? The hope that we get to glory. The church is basically taught that's the hope that we can get to glory. Christ in you is not the hope that you will one day get to glory. Christ in you is the hope that the world will see the glory of God in us and through us. I get excited. I'm sorry. I apologize. Sorry, not sorry. Father God, I believe, is setting us free from an orphan mentality. Listen to what Galatians 3 says. Now, before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came. It was just babysitting us in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. Galatians 3, 23 through 29 says this. For in Christ, you are all sons of God 
through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female. And that takes us to any lady in here who says, I don't want to be called a son. You better want to be because sons get the inheritance. And please don't take this as a, a, a male or female thing because in Christ, he says here, there is neither male nor female. We are all one in Christ. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. 1 John 3, 1 and 2. See what kind of love the Father has given. Behold, some versions say. Behold, what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. Do you see those words? Look at these words. And so we are. Behold, that we should be children. Oh, I've got it. Oh, you got New King James. Sorry. Sorry, that's all right. I'm in the ESV. And so we are. It just adds in the ESV. And so we are. Behold, see what kind of love. I, I, I get this with John. See, behold, what kind of love is this? Listen to the questions he's saying. What kind of love is this? Now, be honest for a second. You know you. Nobody else sitting around you might not know you, but you know you. You know your struggles. You know your thoughts. You know how he found you. You know your mess. You know the stuff you're hiding. Behold, what manner of love is this that we, us, me, you, might be called the sons of God. And so we are. And not so we will be. And not hang on until Jesus comes. And we'll all be gathered on the other side. It's not that. It's not if you can just make it. Ah, I just tie a knot in the end of your rope and hold on, cheering. Hold on. It's not that. I did tell y'all I was from Georgia, didn't I? <laughs> no, this is not a hold on. Holding on to God's unchanging hand. It's not God who needs to change. This is not about... This is, It's not, I will someday be a son of God. You see, that's an orphan mentality. There's this thing that the church loves to talk about. They call it the rapture. And they're hoping that one day that they will be adopted as sons and be taken into another home to live. Boy, I stepped deep in it there. And everybody's holding on that one day they might get adopted. But a son understands, I'm already adopted, and Father has made this his home. Know you not that you're the temple of the Holy Spirit, that he lives in you and is with you. Jesus said, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm going to send one, and he's going to come, and he will be in you. So we settle now this goodness. Behold, what manner of love is this that we might be called the children of God, and so are we. The reason the world does not know us is it did not know him. Behold, we are God's children now. And what what we will be is not yet appeared. We know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. So the first thing we must break is any religious idea that we work really hard to get to the place of being God's child. We are in Christ, one with him, his inheritance, his beloved, the beloved of the father. We are one with him. Now, I know that even though we can hear this. There's some, sometimes a struggle with, yeah, but what about my struggles? Yeah, but what about, well, I, but if I'm one with him, why this? And I know you may have questions and there may be things that you feel, but inside the Spirit of God bears witness that you are a child of God if indeed you have surrendered to Christ. And if you haven't, today would be a great day to do that. But if you have surrendered to Christ, then there's a Spirit of God inside of you meeting with your spirit and bearing witness, crying out, Abba, Father, saying God is our Father. He is our protector, our comforter, our shelter, our helper. And as I do my Father's business, Jesus said I must be about my Father's business. As I'm doing my Father's business, I bear witness that this is His deal. One day recently in prayer, my two-and-a-half-year-old granddaughter was running around. She prays differently than most people. And it doesn't bother me. She's running around in prayer and she's praying. And she, she, the, our, the prayer leader at the time was singing, Good, Good Father. 
And he's just tearing it up. You're good, good father. It's who you are. It's who you are. And it's just really sweet. And people are receiving and, and just singing into that all together. And all of a sudden I hear Libby, who's two and a half, running back and forth. And she has her own song she feels led to sing at that time. She's running back and forth, hollering, let it go, let it go, let it go, let it go, let it go. She's just stuck on that part, and she's like operatic, let it go, let it go, let it go. And I'm, I'm at first kind of like, should I stop her, or should I, or should I let it go, right? <laughs> and as I'm watching it, I'm realizing they're singing Good, Good Father, and Libby is declaring to a generation, we must let go of any thought that God could ever be bad toward us. We must let go of any thought. That song, the simplicity of the song, you're a good, good father, it's who you are, and I'm loved by you, that's who I am. That simple song is just so, because it, it just, where's the theology in that? He's good and he loves me. Oops. I think that we have to let go of any thought that God is not for us, that He's against us. We have to let go of any thought that God is angry at us right now. If God has something He's trying to deal with you at, with it's not because He's angry at you, it's because He's in love with you. John 3.16 doesn't say Jesus came because He was angry. He came because of the Father's love. Behold, what manner of love is this that we might be called the sons of God. This overwhelming love that wants to set me free and not keep me as a slave, enslaved to fear, but as a son. This last scripture I want to read to you. First of all, let me just say this. Sonship is simply received through believing what Christ has done for us. It's our believing that brings us into sonship, not our work. It's our believing and receiving that brings us into sonship. It's by the abundance. It's not by the abundance of our spiritual activity. It's simply trust that Christ has done enough. Now, it will produce, being a son will produce in us the desire to work. Being a son and son mentality, having the, the, the desire to see the kingdom extended the way God desires it will cause me not to complain about things, but to get up and try to make a change in things. Yes, it will produce. It doesn't make me sitting back complaining that nothing's ever going to change, but it, it, it puts in my heart hope. There's so many songs about hope today. You know, hope is not a desire that things will change, but hope is a confident expectation that the goodness of God will prevail. Hope is a confident expectation. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. My hope goes beyond the veil and is anchored into the presence of God, knowing, knowing that of the increase of His government, no end. It's not decreasing. It's getting better. Oh, it's getting better. Oh, it's getting better. And for those that will see with the eyes of the Spirit, you will see that God has good plans and He wants to do something in and through us. But here's the, here's the deal. You cannot adopt yourself as a son. You cannot adopt yourself. A father must do that. And that brings me to this thought. This was not my doing. I would not have shown up on a Saturday night late in the, the apartment of a drug addict in 1984. And, and I wouldn't have shown up there looking for a good kingdom worker. If I were God, I wouldn't have gone to that apartment in Dublin, Georgia. And I wouldn't have had a man point through the TV and call out that young man's sin right there. I would have looked somewhere else. Maybe there's a Bible school somewhere you could find someone. But God came to that apartment and said, Chad, I want to say something to you and wreck your whole world and send you on the adventure of a lifetime. I wouldn't have picked me. I've told him that a number of times. I wouldn't have picked me. But he did. And I didn't adopt myself in the kingdom. I despise the songs. That's a strong word, excuse me. I don't like the songs that talk about how I found Jesus. I didn't find nothing. I couldn't, I wasn't even looking for Jesus. He found me. 
I couldn't adopt myself into the family. It was that night that conviction fell on my heart and I began to cry. I had heard the stories about him. I had heard thousands of stories of what people said he was like. But that night in my apartment, I met him. Nobody was preaching. There was no altar call. There was me on the floor in front of my TV weeping and saying, God, if you can deliver me, please deliver me. And he adopted me into his family because you cannot adopt yourself. Fathers adopt us. He adopted us in. Let me just read this scripture to you. Galatians 4, 1 through 7. I mean that an heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave. An heir is no different from a slave. Though he is the owner of everything, he's under guardians and managers. Until the date set by the father, in the same way we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive adoption as sons. It is so important that we understand our sonship because orphans are always fighting to get enough. Orphans never, you can never think an orphan enough. They can't, they're always seeking approval from man because they don't have approval from the father. Folks, listen to me. I've already heard the father say, well done, thy good and faithful servant. I'm all set. If that freaks you out, good. I didn't have to die to hear my father say he's proud of me. I am so intoxicated on my Father God's acceptance. I know what He's called me to do and to give the next 20 years of my life to. And I am so firm in that that I don't need someone else to affirm me or approve me. Orphans always are afraid that there will never be enough. There's not enough food. They're hiding biscuits in their pocket because they don't know when the next meal will come. That sounds like some folk in church. Let me take that money out of my wallet because if God pulls one of those give everything in your wallet, I want to make sure there ain't much in there. I'm just going to put a 10 spot in my wallet in case in service today the Lord says everything in your wallet. I'm going to say, oh yeah, I got you set because I took that 100 out. That's orphan mentality. Orphan mentality says... I better be careful because I don't know if there's enough. I'd like to give, but I don't know where the next provision will come from. Orphan mentality. The orphan mentality of of serving because they love the law. As opposed to a son who serves by the law of love. You understand, if you fulfill the law that Christ gave us to love as He loved, you won't steal anybody's cow or their wife. Orphans, no matter what you do, never feel loved. But sons... Know the love of the Father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Can you just right where you're sitting right now, just close your eyes for a moment. Lord, I want to be so secure in my sonship. You know, in the the parable of the running father or the prodigal son, how much you want to call it, whatever you want to call it. In that parable where the father splits the inheritance between the two sons, it says 
he gave it to both sons. And the one son spent all his and came back and the father restored him as a son. But it says the other brother got very mad that his, his younger brother was restored, restored. And the older brother says to the father, you have never done anything for me. And the father says, are you kidding? It was all yours already. It was already yours. The father says, I already gave you. In fact, if we look at it, the truth is the older brother portion was two thirds of the estate. The older brother got the largest chunk of the state in, in Jewish customs. He would have gotten two thirds of the estate. The younger brother, one third. And the father has now given all that he had. Can we not see that our father has given all that he had to reconcile us back to himself? He has given the most valuable thing heaven had. He has given his very own self. He laid down his life to restore us. Not to be slaves in his house, but sons and daughters of the king living at the father's table, feasting at the father's table. If you feel like today, the Lord has exposed any place in you where there's been an orphan mentality. And you're saying today, I want to let it go. I'm going to ask you as the worship team sings to just stand where you're at. As they begin to sing, I want you to stand where you're at and ask Father to set you free. And in fact, when you stand up, what I'd like for you to do is just put your hands out in front of you like you're waiting to receive a gift. And I believe today, Holy Spirit is going to place in your hands a revelation of how much Father loves you. And He's going to wash away with the kisses of His mouth. Wash away, blow away the orphan mentality so you can receive today that spirit of adoption that says, I love you, Father. You are mine and I am yours and this is forever. If you've never surrendered your life to Jesus, He loves you so much. He really did die on the cross and He went in the grave and He rose again on the third day just like He said He would do. And He did it because He loves you. Today, you can receive. You say, what must I do to be saved? Call upon the name of the Lord and you'll be saved. Today, you can stand and sing this song and, and put out your hands and the gift of salvation will flood through your life. Come on, Holy Spirit, visit us now as we sing.